Uh, good morning, brethren and friends. Uh, get to see all of you this morning. I'm most thankful for this opportunity to be with all of you online, to be able to worship with you and to share a message uh, from God's Word. Um, due to the pandemic restrictions, I understand that we are not able to travel to be with you all and to in person. And hopefully the next time, uh, next year, we'll be able to travel there to be with you. And also at the same time to be able to see uh, Willie and Sandra's uh, baby being born. Uh, this morning, I've chosen to speak on the topic of spiritual adultery. You know, in the world today, there are many reasons that people give the uh, causes for divorce, among which are probably like domestic abuse, domestic violence, spousal neglect, and even the very common irreconcilable differences. But we see that the only grounds for divorce that God allows as a ground for divorce is actually spiritual adultery. Only when adultery takes place does God allow for a marriage to be dissolved. In fact, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. Perhaps God gave this concession for a man to divorce because of adultery is because nothing hurts a spouse more than marital unfaithfulness. And sexual infidelity is probably the ultimate form of betrayal that one can have towards another person. In fact, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14 to verse 16, you'll notice that God uses a certain word to describe this betrayal of the marriage covenant. You'll notice that three times in this passage, the word treacherously, highlighted here in red, appears. Treachery is oftentimes a word that we often associate with, for example, traitors the people who betray the country, people who are so despicable in betraying another person. But here we see that God considers the breaking of the marriage covenant a very severe offense. Indeed, those who betray the marriage covenant, they are traitors to this covenant that they have made with their spouses. And likewise, the relationship between Christ and His church is a very sacred relationship. It is often portrayed in the Bible as a marriage relationship, as we see in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And so this sacred union, when a person commits adultery, it hurts God very much when a person breaks this covenant. In fact, when we look at Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 20, again the word treacherously appears again. In Jeremiah 3 verse 20, God says, Surely as a wife treacherously departs from a husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. So when someone commits spiritual adultery, going against God, God considers it as a form of treachery, as a form of ultimate betrayal. Well then, you might ask, what is adultery in that case? Why does God consider a betrayal as a spiritual adultery? The most basic definition of adultery is an unlawful mixture. And this is probably why our Lord teaches that such a spiritual adultery takes place in the heart when the man lasts after a woman, even if there is no physical sexual activity. This is an unlawful mixture because a person's desire should only be towards his spouse and not towards other other persons, other men or other women. When we last after others who are not our spouses, that becomes adultery. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, Whosoever looketh on a woman who lasts after her had committed adultery with her already in his heart. 
Okay, so in this lesson, I'd like for us to discuss and look at four ways in which Christians can be guilty of spiritual adultery. Four types of Christians who are guilty of spiritual adultery. The first kind of Christian we want to look at is those who are idolaters. In fact, we see that in the ancient times, during the time of Jeremiah, God's people commit adultery against him, spiritual adultery, in fraternizing with idols. We see that this is an unlawful mixture because Israel and Judah, they were married to God. In fact, let's look at the verse in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 14. In Jeremiah 3, verse 8, God says, I saw, for when, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I have put her away and given to her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the likeness of a whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Turn, O backsliding children, said the Lord, for I am married to you, and I will take you one of a city and one family, and I will bring you to Zion. So we see that this is a unlawful measure. This is spiritual adultery. Because Israel and Judah, they were in a covenant relationship with God. Notice in verse 14, the words highlighted in red. God says, I am married unto you. We have a covenant relationship. But yet, verse 9, it tells us that Judah and Israel, they had committed adultery with stones and with stocks. It's a figurative language to describe the idolatry that they were practicing. When they were worshipping the pagan deities of the land, the deities such as Baal worship, Ashtaroth worship, they were committing spiritual adultery and breaking the covenant relationship with God. And because of that, verse 8, the Bible tells us that God put them away and gave them a bill of divorce because they worship idols. They betrayed their loyalty, their allegiance to God in associating with idols. And you know what, brethren? We too can be guilty of spiritual adultery when we fraternize with idols. You may ask, how so? 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says, We need not unequally yoke together with unbelievers. For what fellowship had righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion had light with darkness? So you see, we commit spiritual adultery where we have fellowship with unrighteousness. People who are not aligned to the word of God, when we associate with them, we commit spiritual adultery. I think you remember about the Israelites when they came back from the Babylonian captivity under Zerubbabel. You remember that when they wanted to rebuild the temple, a group of people, the Samaritans, they wanted to join them in the rebuilding of the temple. They say, we worship the same God as you do. We serve the same God as you do. Okay. But the Israelites declined. They rejected the help. They did not want to join them in this participation, in this uh, project to rebuild the temple. Why is that so? Because even though they claimed to worship the same God, but yet they were practicing a corrupted form of the worship. Okay. They were practicing the truth in certain areas, but not in other areas. And so because of that, there was no joint participation. There was no fellowship between these two groups of people. And in similar sense, when we have fellowship with liberals, fellowship with denominations, we too are guilty of spiritual adultery. And so that is why we cannot be in association with those who do not hold on to the truth. Speakers, preachers from denominations, or even liberal churches, we cannot stand in the same pulpit with them. We cannot 
be in fellowship with them and worship together with them because such will be betraying our allegiance to God. Another way in which we can fraternize with idols and commit spiritual adultery is when we take part in the practices of infidels. Going on in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 15, Paul says, What concord had Christ with Belial? And what part had he that believeth with an infidel? Again, you might ask the question, how can Christians be part of the practices of infidels? Some examples would be where we partake in the religious festivals with pagan origins. Did you know that the festivals that today we, uh, we have in our calendars, that of Easter and Christmas, they come with pagan origins? Take for instance Easter. Let's talk about Easter for the time being. Easter is actually a worship of the goddess of life and uh, fertility. In the Bible, you read of her as Ashtaroth. Uh, the Greeks call her Estate. The Germans call her Yoster. So that's why we have the word Easter coming from this word, Yoster. So this is the goddess of fertility. And you'll, you'll notice that during Easter, they have the symbols, the Easter bunny and the Easter eggs. Why is that so? Because, you know, bunnies, they actually give birth, they reproduce very quickly. That's why they are symbols of fertility. And eggs symbolize fertility, symbolize life itself. Okay. So you see that this is actually a, a, a festival with pagan origins. In fact, if you look at the timing of this Easter, oftentimes it ties with spring. Why? Because spring is when life comes, life, uh, comes again after the winter. So we see that during this period of time, there is new life, there is rebirth. Uh, things are growing very quickly. So because of this, this ties in together with Easter. How about Christmas? Christmas also has pagan origins. It's when the Asians people, they actually worship the, the sun god. Okay. So during the time of uh, December, you know that it's actually winter time. But nearing the end of winter, that is when December 25th, after the winter solstice, the sun begins to come up again. Okay. So to them, this is like the sun god coming up again, being reborn. So they celebrate December 25th as the birth of the sun god. But you might wonder, these are pagan festivals. How did this come to be adopted in so-called the Christian calendar, where did not even practice such and observe such festivals? I remember that there was a time where I told my friends uh, when they wished me a Merry Christmas, I say I don't celebrate Christmas. And then they asked me, what kind of Christian am I? Uh? To their mind, they were thinking that a Christian that doesn't celebrate Christmas, it doesn't tie in. Well, they did not realize that these are actually pagan festivals. And how this came into the Christian so-called Christian calendar is because in the time of Constantine, they wanted to evangelize, proselyte the pagans. So what better way to do that than to tell them that, hey, you know what? The God you worship is the same as the God as we worship. Just like what the people, the Samaritans did. They say that we worship the same God as you. So the people then thought that maybe by introducing your festivals into our calendar, we can win you over. So that's how Easter became the birthday of Jesus or rather the, the, the death of Jesus, and Christmas became the birthday of Jesus, the supposed birthday of Jesus in the Christian calendar. So we see that we cannot participate in this kind of practices of infidels. Okay? We cannot participate in it as a religious festival. But I have to make a disclaimer that sometimes, you know, our brethren in the States, they also celebrate Christmas. But there's nothing wrong because they do not celebrate it as a religious festival. They celebrate it as a secular holiday. To them, the Christmas is just like our Chinese New Year. 
New Year actually realized that Chinese New Year also have pagan origins, okay, where you talk about the Nian, the monster, uh, and they use the firecracker to scare this monster away. So he has some of the pagan connotations. But in present time, okay, we do not practice, we do not have these kind of associations anymore. In fact, we do not follow the superstitions that uh, some of the Chinese religions they have. For example, they might pray to their ancestors during Chinese New Year. Uh, we don't do that. They offer incense. They burn joss paper, joss sticks. We don't do that. We celebrate it as a secular holiday where family members come together and children demonstrate filial piety to their seniors. Okay. So in the same way, our brethren in the States, they, they celebrate Christmas not as a religious festival, but as a secular holiday where family members come together to give thanks and to celebrate uh, like a new year together. So we have to make a distinction. We can uh, celebrate as a secular holiday, but not to observe the religious observances. A third way in which we can be guilty of fraternizing with idols is where we have agreement with idols. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 says it very clearly. What agreement had the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so Christians, again, we commit spiritual adultery where we have agreement with idols. You know, there are some Christians that I know of who practice, who participate in the practices, the observances of those of other religion. For instance, those who practice the Chinese religion, sometimes people become Christians, their family members, their elders, their parents even, are still in the Chinese tradition. So what they do is that they worship God but during the Chinese, the, during the seventh month, the Hungry Ghost Festival, they still go and burn joysticks with their parents because they do not want to cause offense to their parents, their family members. In that way, some of these persons, these people, they are having agreement with idols. They are participating in idol worship as well. And one of the great, one of the most difficult times for Christians could be when they have members, family members who are not Christians, is during the death of a loved ones, during the funerals. Okay. A lot of times uh, when people, their family members who are not Christians, they will follow the Chinese traditions, the Chinese rites. I remember when my grandma passed away about 20 years ago. Uh, okay, uh, At that point in time, I was still in my uh, teens. At that point in time, my, she or my mom especially was under a lot of pressure from the family to participate in the rites, the traditions, okay, the burning of joysticks, the walking around the coffin, the bowing to the deceased. Because my mom is the eldest uh, eldest daughter in the family. In fact, the eldest child in the family. And actually, I'm the eldest son. Okay? But I'm thankful that my mom stood up for a favor. She said that she will not participate in this. She will participate in those that have nothing to do with religion. Those are that uh, demonstration of filial piety. For example, wearing white. But she will not hold a joystick. She will not participate in anything that has to do with religion. Okay? Of course, at the point in time, a lot of pressure. People were saying that she is not demonstrating filial piety. Okay? But because she made a stand, it was much easier the second time round when my granddad passed away, okay, uh, about 10 years later. Then from then on, the siblings know that she will not participate and they stop pressuring her. So you see, brethren, we have to make a stand. If you make a stand the first time, the second time and subsequent times, it will become easier. But if my mom had given in and said that, okay, this one time I'll do it, just to please my, my family members, just not to upset them, I'll do it. If she had done it the first time, the second time, it will be much more difficult for her to say no. Because people will tell her, the previous time you already do it. What's wrong with doing it the second time? So brethren, we have to make a stand. We cannot fellowship with those who are of other faith, 
of other religions, we cannot fellowship with them. And so, instead of fraternizing with idols and participate in spiritual adultery, what God tells us is to do is to come out from among them and be separate. And God says, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. So the first group of people who commit spiritual idol- adultery is those who have a practice idolatry or those who compromise and engage in idolatrous practices. The second group of people who are guilty of spiritual adultery are those who are ignorant, those who do not know God's standard of righteousness and instead follow the standards of other people or even their own thinking. So God's people commit spiritual adultery when they follow, follow a different standard. In Romans chapter 7, verse 2 to verse 4, we see that Paul writes to his brethren, writes to those who are Jews. And he's, he has to speak to them because some of them, even after they become Christians, they were still thinking of following the old law. They were trying to practice Christianity together with Judaism. Okay. And so Paul tries to correct their thinking by showing them that they are now in a new relationship with Christ. Their relationship with the old law has been broken. So Romans chapter 7, verse 2 to verse 4, Paul says, For the woman which had a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But the husband, but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if all her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be caught an adulteress. But if her husband she be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So over here, we see that Christians commit spiritual adultery. They are engaged in an unlawful mixture. Okay? In this case, these Christians, because they are already dead to the law, they have already severed ties with the old law. Okay? In verse 4, Christ, Paul says, you have become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So becoming dead to the law, now they are free to marry another. In fact, they are now married to Christ, as we see the taken part in verse 4. And so in chapter 7, verse 3, Paul says that they shall be caught and adulterous if they try to bind themselves to Christ and the old law at the same time. It's just like a man who is married to two people practicing polygamy. Such will be spiritual adultery. So we see that to these people, they are following not God's standard, but by their own standard. In fact, Paul will subsequently write in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, that they, following their own righteousness, that going about to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. They are following their own standard, their own desires, what they think is right. But they have not followed what God tells them is the right thing to do. And in doing so, they are guilty of committing spiritual adultery. And brethren, we too can be guilty of spiritual adultery where we follow a different standard. A standard that is different from what God gives to us in His Word, in His Bible. When we do that, we commit and unlawful mixture, we commit spiritual adultery. So one way we commit spiritual adultery is when we follow human philosophy. Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Notice human philosophy is a form of spiritual adultery, where we try to follow humanistic thinking. In the 18th century, we see that that was the age of enlightenment. 
when people instead of believing in religion, okay, they begin to be more fascinated by science, by technology. That was a rapid uh, era where, where science and technology developed very quickly. But the downside to it is that people trusted in what they can see, what they can test, and what makes sense to them. To them, the humans, humankind, our thinking is the highest of them all. Okay? Man is the master of his own destiny. And when that happens, you see that today, a lot of people, they are not religious at all. They don't believe in the Bible. Not that the Bible contradicts, but because they want to see things with their own eyes. They want to do, believe in things that they can experience with their five senses. Only things that they can hear, they can smell, they can taste, they can touch. Then they will believe them. But they can't see God. They say, I cannot believe in a God. So we see that when man tries to follow philosophy, they are committing spiritual adultery because they put man's thinking, man's ideas above God's thinking and God's word that he has revealed to us. We also become guilty of spiritual adultery where we follow ordinances of men. Colossians 2 verse 20, Paul continues to say, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? You know, today in the religious world, in the denominational world, a lot of people like to follow religious rites huh? okay, religious customs. Okay? For instance, the, sec the Catholics, they have their sacraments. Okay? To them, there are things that they must follow. They must do the external observances. If we follow in these traditional rites, okay, these rites that are imposed by men and not by God, we too become guilty of spiritual adultery. A third way where we can become guilty of spiritual adultery is when we follow the commandments and the doctrines of men, the teachings of men. Verse 22 of Colossians 2, Paul says, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. There are things that humans tell us what to do. Today, if you ask people how to be a Christian, you ask different denominations, they give you different answers. Some people say that you just believe in Jesus, you are safe. Some people say you say the sinner's prayer, you are safe. Some people say, oh, you have an experience with God, you are safe. All these do not come from the Bible. They come from humanistic thinking. They come from human creeds. Today, the Methodists, they have the Methodist discipline. The Catholic, they have the Catholic Catechism. The Baptists have the Hitchcock's manual. Everybody has their own standard, their own writings. When we do that, when we follow other standards other than God's writings, God's word in the Bible, we are committing spiritual adultery. And so, what should we do then? Instead of following a different standard, God wants us to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus also means in His authority. What God has authorized us to do, we practice them. Today, the church worship, we do not use instruments because God only authorizes us to sing and not to use instruments of music. When we, when we add things to God's word, when we add practices to God's word, they are not scriptural, they are not authorized, such becomes spiritual adultery. And so Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So if we look at two kinds of people who are guilty of spiritual adultery, let us look at the third kind of Christian who is guilty of spiritual adultery. Those who are indulgent. Those who have come out from darkness, but yet they still want to be a part of the world. They still want to assimilate back into the world. And so when Christians... They try to assimilate back into the world and at the same time try to put on Christ, they are guilty of spiritual adultery. It is an unlawful measure because at baptism, we have actually put off the old man and we have put on Jesus Christ. 
And yet Christians who have, once their old men are dead, they try to put it back on again, such is committing spiritual adultery. In fact, let's look at what James says in James chapter 1, 4, verse 1 to verse 4. Here he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of the last that war in your members? Notice, James is writing to Christians, but yet these Christians are giving in to their last. Okay. And verse 2 says, You last and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask a means that you may consume it upon your last. You see that these people, they have already died to sin. They have crucified themselves to sin. But yet, at the same time, they still want to give in to the last. And that is why in verse 4, here James calls them adulterers and adulteresses. These are Christians who are worldly, who are materialistic. Instead of setting their affection on things above, they're setting their affection on things of the earth. And so, James says in verse 4, You are adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so when we try to be a servant both of the world and of God, we are trying to put our legs in two boats. We are guilty of spiritual adultery, but we try to be part of the world. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 tells us of three things where we want to become part of the world. We are guilty of three kinds of sins. Okay. Of course, we talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. Okay. And we see that John tells us this is not of the Father, but this is of the world. And these are the three things that sometimes Christians can be guilty of. But we try to be able, try to uh, want to please the world, at the same time, we want to please God. You know, I remember that while I was studying in the Bible college at Forces College, uh, where I was still a Bible student uh, studying there, uh, my instructor there warns us about three things uh, that a preacher has to work, look out for. In fact, not just a preacher, any Christians have to look out for three things. And he calls it the three W's. The first W it tells us is that of women. Okay? When we talk about people who are susceptible to the lust of the flesh, they want to fulfill their the physical desires. Okay? And we see that uh, adultery has been the cause of the downfall of many Christians. Okay? I remember that when I was younger, there was a brother in Christ that I looked up to, who was a very nice brother in Christ, who, uh, who was very nice to the children especially. Every time he come, he would give us treats. He served very zealously, and he was someone who worked quietly, but diligently behind the scenes. But what caused his downfall was that he committed adultery, he had an affair. And sad to say, today he's no longer in the church. Not just him, his family all together, all of them left the church. He divorced the wife, or rather the wife put him away, divorced him because of the adultery. And all of them today, they remarried. They are no longer in the Lord's church. A very sad case because this Christian, even though he knew what was right and what was wrong, but yet he gave in to his physical desires. He gave in to the lust of the flesh. So that's the first W, women. The second W that we need to look out for is that of wealth. You know, wealth are sometimes they corrupt a person. Can help the can make the person such that his priorities become misaligned. Read of, for example, Demas, okay, who was a who was a faithful minister together with Paul, but yet Paul says that he left him because he loved the present world. And we talk about wealth, we see that a lot of Christians are falling into this danger because they become very indifferent, become very apathetic, because they become very worldly and very materialistic. I recall that when I was growing up in the church. I have a lot of good uh, friends, a lot of good brethren in the church who have grew up together with me. But today, a lot of them, even though they come to church, 
but they are no longer actively serving. When you ask them, can you help to teach a lesson? Can I put you to serve? They will decline because they have become very materialistic. Uh, in fact, we don't see them very regular in church anymore. Some of them, they come very occasional. And when you speak to them about their faith, being regular for service, they get very upset that you're judging them. What happened? How did someone who was so zealous and so faithful when they were young, as they grew up, they leave, they depart from God, they draw away from God. Money is the problem. Uh, okay? that's, why, uh, that's why Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is the root of all evil. The third W okay, that Christians can be susceptible to is that of wine. So woman, wealth, and wine. And you see that wine is a problem. In Proverbs 31, we see King Lemuel's mother warning him against seeking after wine. And today when people take wine, okay, they can become very proud, okay, the pride of life. They become very puffed up. They lose their inhibitions. Okay. They will say things that they normally will not say. They will do things that they normally will not do. Okay. So you see that Christians, we, when we give in to these last, these desires we have, when we become, go back to the world, a Christian who comes to church only on Sunday, they behave like a Christian on Sunday, but the rest of the week, they behave just like the world, becoming a part of the world, doing what the world does, they are guilty of spiritual adultery. They have committed an unlawful mixture together with the world. And so, instead of assimilating ourselves into the world, being part of the world, the Bible tells us that we need to be transformed. In Romans chapter 2, 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the world. Don't follow what the world does, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So for us as Christians, in order to be Christ-like, the mind must first be transformed. Okay? Instead of thinking that, why can't I do something because everyone else is doing? Realize that the majority is not always right. Okay? When we follow the majority, we're actually going on the right path that leads to destruction. The narrow path is a difficult path, but yet it leads towards life. So we need to transform our thinking. Our affection needs to be on things above and not on things of the earth. We must remember that things of this earth are only temporal. They are very fitting. The COVID-19 pandemic situation has shown us that how uncertain life is. People who are young, who are strong, one day they are alive. When they get COVID, they may just pass away. Everything that they work so hard for, that they are obsessed over, they can't take them with them into the afterlife. They can't take them with them into eternity. They lose all these things. The last kind of people, the last group of Christians I'll talk about who are guilty of spiritual adultery are those who are insincere. And God's people can commit spiritual adultery when we feign religious piety. We consider the Pharisees, for example. Okay? We know that the Pharisees, they were a people who claim that they are very religious, who think themselves to be righteous. But we see that all this was for a show. In fact, Jesus often calls them hypocrites because of their self-righteousness. In fact, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 30, we see that Jesus gave a parable of the two sons. Okay? The first son says that the father asked him to go and work. He says, I will go, but he did not went. The second son says, I will not go, but in the end, he went. Of course, we know that the first group is referring to, Jesus is referring to the Pharisees who claim to profess loyalty to God, but yet they do not justify it with their works. The other group are the publicans, the sinners, okay, who, who rejected, the, who were not followers of God, but yet when they were confronted with their sin, given the opportunity to obey the gospel, a lot of them came to Jesus and submitted their lives to him. And we see that not only did these hypocrites, not only did they not do what they teach, but yet they expect others to do and they bind heavy burdens on them. 
in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. But Jesus says, you bind heavy burdens that are grievous to God, and you lay them on men's shoulders, but you yourselves do not move them with one of your fingers. So these were people who make life very difficult for others, who are very critical of others, who are very lenient to themselves. And it's no surprise that Jesus called them a wicked and adulterous generation. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 to verse 4, Jesus said to them, When it's evening, you say, it shall be fair weather, because the sky is great. In the morning, you will be foul weather today, for the sky is great and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the sign of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be given, no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. In this context, in verse 1, they actually asked Jesus for a sign from heaven. Well, Jesus had performed a lot of signs and miracles to them, didn't he? He healed the sick, he cast out demons. The gospel was preached. But yet, they did not accept these signs. They did not accept Jesus as their Messiah. They wanted a different kind of sign. They wanted a sign from heaven. Something that is spectacular. Something that is out of this world. They wanted a show. Jesus calls them that you are hypocrites. You can see the weather and can tell whether it's a good day or a bad day. But yet, you see the miracles. Can't you tell that this proves that Jesus is the Messiah? And so Jesus says, there will be no sign given to you, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. The resurrection of Jesus, okay? Just like Jonas was three days and nights in the fish belly, Jesus was three days and nights in the grave, and he then resurrected from the dead. His resurrection is the ultimate sign. If people will not believe in the resurrection, they will not believe in any other signs that Jesus shows to them as well. So this group of people who feign religious piety, who claim to be righteous, self-righteous, they were guilty of spiritual adultery. Jesus calls them an wicked and adulterous generation. And brethren, we too can be guilty of spiritual adultery when we feign religious piety, when we pretend to be religious, but yet our hearts are not. For instance, the first group will be those who profess to know God, but they deny Him in works. In Titus 1 verse 16 says, they profess they know God, by works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Have you heard of Christians who tell you that, oh, uh, I don't need to come to church uh, uh, because my heart is right with God? Sometimes people give themselves the excuse to make themselves feel better. Uh, okay? uh, they, they, do, they don't come for Bible class. They say that, oh, I can study my Bible at home. Yes, it's true, you can study your Bible at home. But how many of them actually who came that uh, actually do that? I would say few. If none, if few of them okay, actually do that, when they say that, I don't attend Bible class because I, I do my study at home. Seldom would you see them doing that. So when we claim to know God, we claim to believe in God, but our works show otherwise. We do not do what He says. We do not show by our actions that we do things that are pleasing to Him. We do not put Him as our priority. He tells us that we are just merely hypocrites. How about those who judge others? He's, uh, Paul says in Romans 2 verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge another, do us the same things. Okay. So there in the church, there are sometimes people who judge others, okay, but yet they are guilty of the same things. They are very critical of others, but very lenient towards themselves. When others do something, they, are, they have sinned. But when they do something, the wrong thing themselves, they give a lot of excuses. They say it's just weakness. It's just, a, it's just a weakness of the flesh. It's just a tiredness. A lot of reasons that they give to justify themselves. It's just like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, that they are very critical of the mote in their brother's eyes, but yet they are not critical of the beam in their own eyes. 
So sometimes we can be guilty of that. But we teach young Christians what to do, new converts, how to live your Christian life. But yet, we ourselves do not practice the same thing. We have become hypocrites and guilty of spiritual adultery. And the third area, area in which we can be guilty of feigning religious piety is where we claim to minister to our Lord, but yet we do not do it to our brethren. We do not do it to those who need, it, who need our help. Okay. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to verse 46, we see the great judgment scene. Notice that these people were not guilty, were not judged or condemned because of anything wrong that they had done. But they were condemned because of things that they were supposed to do, but they did not do. Jesus said that he was hungry, they did not give him food. He was thirsty, he did not give him drink. He was a stranger and naked, they did not clothe him. Sick, he did not visit him. These people asked Jesus, when did we not do these things to you? Jesus says, inasmuch as you do not do it to the one of the least of brethren, you did not do it unto me. So brethren, when we do claim to love God, but yet we do not show the same kind of love to our brethren, we are guilty of hypocrisy. Because God tells us, if you, or John tells us that if you cannot love your brother whom you can see, how can you love your father whom you cannot see? So in this COVID-19 pandemic situation, there are really a lot of opportunities for us to show love to our brethren. Some of our brethren have lost jobs. Some of them are affected in their health. Okay? And I heard of the good work that the brethren here uh, in Malaysia have done. Uh, some of you have sent gifts to brethren, sent food to brethren, those who are not well. And it's something that ought to be commended. By doing so, you're actually showing your love towards your master, towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is indeed something that we need to do when brethren are sick, we need to visit them. Of course, because of a pandemic situation, it might not be possible. But we can still show our love and concern for them. Let them know you're thinking of them. Pray for them. And when the, when the time is getting better, when the, when the restrictions are lifted, when things are situation is better, we can have visitations again. When brethren lost their loved ones, come together to comfort one another. This is what something a family should do for each other. And Christians, remember, we are in a family. We need to show the same kind of care to one another as we will show to our siblings and our parents as well. And so, instead of, sorry, instead of feigning religious piety, James tells us that we need to show pure religion. And what is pure religion? He says in James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So not doing anything wrong is one thing, but we need to show our religion, genuine religion, by also visiting the fatherless and the widows. You know, at first when I read this verse, I wonder to myself, why did God just single out the fatherless and the widows? I thought everybody needs to be visited. But you see, those who are fatherless and those who are widows, these are the people that have nothing to give to you. Sometimes we visit brethren uh, because they are our two friends. Okay? I visit you, you visit me. There's a, a give and take. Okay? I do good to you, you do good to me. But people who are fatherless, the orphans, and those who are widows, oftentimes these are the most oppressed people in society. They have nothing to offer to you. In fact, they are oftentimes the most neglected. But yet, when Christians, we can do that to visit the fathers and the widows. This actually shows genuine love, unfeigned love, because we are doing it out of the goodness of our heart out of our love for our brethren and love for God, that we do it. There's nothing we can gain from them, but yet we do it. And so God wants us to demonstrate pure faith, doing things because of our love for Him and for our brethren, and not because there is any reward that we can get out of them. And so brethren, in this morning's lesson, we have discussed four kinds of ways, four kinds of Christians that are guilty of spiritual adultery. The first are Christians who see no difference 
with mixing with those of other religion, other faith. They fraternize with idols. Uh, they practice their practices. They worship God at the same time they worship the idols. These are spiritual adulterers. Second group is slightly better. They say that I follow God, I will not follow other religion. But yet the standards that they follow is not God's standard. It's actually man's standard or their own standards. Many people in the denominational world, they want to choose a church that is pleasing to them. Uh, you say something that teaches against my sin, I will not want to join. I'll go to another church. Such is a wrong mindset. And people who put themselves or other people above God as authority, they are guilty of spiritual adultery. A third kind of Christian may be someone that knows the Bible very well. Someone that is a mature and long-time Christian. But such a Christian has become lukewarm. He has become part of the world. He become indulgent. He has assimilated himself into the world. His affection is no longer on things above, but things on the earth. Yes, you may still see them every Sunday. They are Sunday Christians. They come. But yet, their heart is not there. God is not their priority. Because for them, they become very worldly, very materialistic. They are looking for the things of the world to gain a free reward. Those are also guilty of spiritual adultery. The last one I talked about is those who are insincere. These brethren can be someone who has the priorities right. Okay? People who have a lot of knowledge of God's word. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Sometimes Christians can know a lot of things. But they become like the Pharisees, very self-righteous, very hypocritical, very critical of the younger Christians or the new Christians. But yet when they commit the same sins, they excuse themselves. They are, they are, they are those that they are close to, uh, they commit a sin, they overlook them. We can become guilty of spiritual adultery when we are guilty of such hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And so brethren, I hope this lesson has given us some food for thought as we reflect on whether we are guilty of spiritual adultery in any of these areas. At the start of my lesson, I spoke about how God only allows divorce because of adultery. The only reason for divorce is adultery. We see that the husband is immensely hurt when the wife is unfaithful to him. And in the same way, God is also heartbroken when his people betray him. Instead of following him and putting him as the first priority in their life, where they have other things that stand in the way. God is heartbroken. But there's a difference between God and man. For men can divorce because of spiritual adultery, God will never forsake us. As long as we repent and turn back to Him, God says, I will take you back again. I will love you once again. In fact, I think God's love can be shown in the great story that we see in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a really touching story of God's love. We know about in the book of Hosea how God asked this prophet to marry a wife of harlotry. This wife was unfaithful to the husband. Okay? And but yet, instead of putting her away, we see that Hosea go and redeem Gomer and bring her back to him again. This actually depicts how our faithful God was proactive in seeking out unfaithful Israel. Israel had played the harlot, they had betrayed God, they had followed other idols, but yet God wants them to come back to Him. He was the one seeking for their good instead of they turning back to God. In fact, God paid for their redemption. God paid for all our redemption by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Such is the love of God that even though we have let Him down, we have betrayed Him, He has never given up. From us, of our, on us. And so, brethren, have we drifted away from God? Have we been unfaithful to Him? Have we committed spiritual adultery? If so, God wants us to repent, to turn back to Him. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. As long as we come back to God, God will accept us, God will forgive us. And so, the friends that have joined us for this morning's worship, 
We thank you for spending time with us. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Bible, I'm sure the good brethren at Kota Community Church of Christ will be glad to share with you more and to help you to have ans find answers to your questions. But I want for you to take something away from this lesson. That is to know how much God loves you. The Bible tells us that when we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. We did nothing to deserve God's love. We did nothing to deserve God's mercy. But yet God loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to come to this earth to live among us and to die the most painful death for us. Why did He do that? So that He can show His mercy towards you. His will for you is for all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth, as 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 tells us. So if you would like to, if you have understood about God's love for, for us, for men, and you have studied the Bible for some time, why not think about your salvation? Why not make yourself right with God and obey the gospel? And you can become one with God. You can be in His church and to receive all spiritual blessings. Once again, I'm most thankful for this opportunity and this privilege to come and speak with you all. And I look forward to the time that we can meet together again soon. Thank you.